0: Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm joined by one of the best in the business, William Liu of Sportsnet and the Raptor Show. Um, William, uh, thanks so much for for taking the time and doing this. I know how busy you are and how precious your time is, like precious to chew it. Sorry, it was just right there. Um, but uh, thanks so much for, for coming
1: on. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, yeah, happy to come on again.
0: Yeah, um I just want to ask a little bit about your career and and I know you 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 came to Canada, you know, at a young age and kind of fell in love with the game. Just talk a little bit about how you uh, you know, became a Raptors fan and got into the game of basketball.
1: Yeah, um you know, like it wasn't I think a lot of people get into sports cuz like their parents um introduce them to to things as, you know, most things happen like that, but um, you know, that wasn't really an entry point for me. Um, my dad certainly loves soccer, and that's why my favorite sport is soccer as well. And and I've played with them pretty much since I was two years old. But uh, yeah, in terms of basketball, like that didn't really happen until I went to school and, you know, um, got to, you know, just try to fit in. You try to fit in and see what everyone else likes, right? And I remember this very distinct moment on the playground uh, where this kid came up to me. He's like, you got to choose. Uh, are Are you a hockey fan or a basketball fan? Or basically, like, are you a Raptor fan or a Leafs fan? And I think the Leafs were actually a much better team at the time. Like, and that was around the time like Matt Sundin and and mm. had some pretty good squads. And even my dad was watching hockey to fit in with his coworkers. Kind of the same deal as me, actually thinking about it. Uh, mm. But I was like, no, I'm a basketball fan. Like, I'm a Raptor fan. And like that Raptor team was was was, was terrible. Um, I, that was like the it was Vince Carter. No, it was Vince's last year. Um. Oh. And he was scoring, like, 15 points a game. He went from, like, averaging 30 to scoring 15. And he was clearly on the way out. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's my team. That's my team. And um, that's really the whole story. I kind of just stuck it out with them. But... Seminal moment when, when that, whoever that kid was, uh, I, I want to track him down and say thank you. He's probably 30 <laughs> as well, so he's probably not a kid anymore.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, um, but, and then with that, like, I know you had an interesting way until in how you got into this industry. I know you're, I think you're in biotech for, or going into that kind of field for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're at school, didn't like a co-op, started writing at McMaster. Just talk a little bit about your career journey, uh, you know, kind of switching fields and, and what made you, uh, go into basketball media
1: yeah um so you know I, when i got to school like i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do like i think that's like, a fairly common experience um from the people i've talked to and um i kind of knew what i was supposed to do which was to sort of come out with some sort of like um you know, like a stem kind of degree and then mm-hmm. um get a relatively stable job um, however that exists nowadays but um I just I just didn't enjoy it. And I thought, um, you know, I, I got into the lab. Uh, it was chemical biology, which is technically different than biochemistry mm. uh, yeah. it studies a lot more of the chemistry side of things. But regardless, like I was just in the lab for a lot of that uh, that year. And I was just like, yo, I hated being in this lab. Like we had this one season long or year long uh project where we had to like isolate this like compound uh <laughs> and then test it and put it through all these like um you know machines to sort of like essentially see if you, a if you have you know, you know isolated the compound and then be like what effect that has etc like, etc et so it's like every week i will come in for three hours and like try my very best and be super careful and then there was, like, a one small little, like, accident that I made in terms of, like, just, like, a sh- my hand shook or something. Okay. And it just screwed up the project for the whole year. And I was like, yo, this is a horrible environment. I just remember always, like, taking off my lab coat and just being sweating. And I was just like, this is terrible. I don't really want to do this. Yeah. Um. So, it definitely sent me into a spiral in terms of, like, okay, what do I do then, actually? Because otherwise, I'm just spending all this money in school and not coming out with anything. And my response was just like, okay, can I actually try to actively engage myself into thinking about what do I actually want and, and, and try to embrace what I actually want. Um, that's kind of a lifelong struggle really. But uh, mm-hmm. for me, it was like, I, I really like basketball and I really liked, um, you know, basketball media. Um, I was always a like longtime reader of, uh, you know, Raptors Republic. And so I just really wanted to sort of set that as a target. How can I get to, to right there And I try to use the resources that were available to me. So um, I covered, for example, uh, though my first ever beat was covering the McMaster women's basketball team, okay, which was awesome. And um, shout out to coach Teresa Burns, who still coaches the team. I actually ran into her such a weird full circle moment, but I ran into her like last week. Okay, uh, I was watching U of T versus McMaster. Both the men's and the women's team played each other. Mm-hmm. And the women's team for Mac beat them by like, it was like 80 to 40. I'm not even kidding. Wow. Um, And after the game, you know, like, cause the, you know, it's not that big of a deal. People were just milling around and I went up to coach Burns and I was like, Coach, I, I don't think you remember me at all. Um, and she didn't, but I was like, you know, I I covered your team like 10 years ago, and, and we talked about that team. And there was one player who was like six four, and she had like a twenty. she was like Kevin Love in that in, <laughs> in that season. She was like 30 30 every game. Um and I was like, you know, but I and then she asked me about what I was doing. And I told her and she's like, this is like she's like she's just very happy for me that um basketball is taking me to this point. But, uh, yeah, that was the sort of the entry point I wanted. It was just, like, something I could feel happy about. And I wasn't getting paid for it. It wasn't even anything that was, like, great exposure. I mean, it ended up in a school newspaper, which was cool. But, like, you know, how many people read a school newspaper? Like, maybe, like, 5,000 at most, right? And that's probably being very generous. Um, But I really liked it. And so I tried to take little steps towards it. And um, I didn't necessarily think it'll manifest into this, like, thing that I'm doing now. But... Um, I did think it started with just embracing like what I actually want to do versus like what I should be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did you go from McMaster to Yahoo and uh, and you know like you had a, I, I I still saw a video of you asking Tim Liwicky a, a question back in the day. Uh, I don't know what timeline that was at. But, uh, uh, and then the mic, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, but okay. Just- you don't have to detail that, but
1: no, no, no. I no. will give you the background. So uh first off, shouts to shouts to Raptors moment uh, on YouTube. Um I don't know his identity and I don't know who he is, but we do DM each other quite frequently and I I love his content and I love his work. And I want him this podcast as well. Uh but yes, I think he actually found that video mostly because Alex found that video, because I showed him that video. Uh and it's become a whole thing, which is which is really funny. Um but I remember so what happened there was um so I was writing for Raptors public at that time. And, and I got into Raptors public because of Blake Murphy. Mm. Um, I was just kind of blogging on my own, starting my own websites and whatever. And they weren't really getting that much traction, but Raptors public had two things. So number one, they had something called uh, the morning coffee, which is still a thing that's running right now, where they kind of like go around all the internet and they put all the Raptors content in one place. And because Raptors public is such a big, like um, prominent blog, like it actually was a really good place for independent writers to like You would hope to be aggregated in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would reach out to Sam Halako, who was, I think he's still doing morning coffees. uh, And I was sort of begging him, like, hey, can you put my personal stuff on the Raptors, like, on your site? And he was like, no problem. And then having done that a couple of times, I was like, can I try to just write for Raptors Republic? So it was during the summertime where it was like, I just wanted to cover, like, JV in the, in Eurobasket in 2013. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So I was just like, I'm gonna watch all the Lithuania games on some sort of illegal stream, and I'm just gonna write all the little takeaways of how JV looked. Because JV was like back in the day, JV was like not, not Scotty level in terms of hype, but it was like the fifth overall pick, you yeah. know. And so I pitched that to to Blake and and he was the managing editor at the time. And I was like, you know, can I do this? He's like, Of course you can do this. I'm not gonna pay you, but I'm like, Yeah, no, I know, I <laughs> know, it's okay. I just wanna do it. Uh and so yeah, I started getting to write at Raps Republic and Essentially, it was like you know, like any sort of like uh, newsroom. In a, in a way, this was a virtual newsroom, but it would be like there's assignments. So, who wants to cover this game? Who wants to cover this game? And I would always sort of put my hand up for those kind of things. And one of the opportunities that came up was uh, Raptors Public had season tickets, um, just one pair. And as part of a season ticket uh, event, um, uh, you know, you're able to go have a meet and greet with Masai and, and, and Tim Laiwiky. And this is when Tim got to the Raptors, and that's when he unveiled Masai as well. And so, you know, it was a whole big thing. And one of the perks of it, in addition to, like, the two free cups of wine that they gave you, uh, was you get to sit in the stands and, and hear this sort of, like, speech and this vision, almost like a... It's like one of those like corporate calls you know like the stock yeah. brokers like yeah, yeah you yeah. get to like call in and ask about the future of rogers or whatever so i like <laughs> i sat in and i was like hey what what, you know what 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 is the you know what do you guys want to do in terms of the future of the team and i don't know the question was some, something so silly i think it was like uh a tim could come from managing the lakers yeah. and so i was like oh are you guys going to try to build like the lakers did with like three seven footers which oddly enough you know, Raptors kind of a little similar to it right now. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, it, whatever. The, the mic malfunction, uh, all that kind of stuff. It was actually quite hilarious. I also wore like a business outfit, which I yeah. thought was what you needed to do for that. So the whole scene is just quite funny, especially looking back on it, uh, ten years later now. But um, that's the story of that. And then how I got eventually to Yahoo. I mean, there's a long bridge period there where I worked at the score, and mm-hmm. I worked in news aggregation. Um, I, I wrote NBA news. So the new the store like the job, essentially was like. Uh, okay, there's two parts of that job. There's one part where it's like, well, tweets we'll tweet something like, breaking, Tobias Harris has just been traded for Ursula Sova. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like, okay, now I got to take that right into a little story uh, as quickly as possible, like <clears throat> literally within like two to three minutes and then send it to my editor and then we fire off an alert and that's how the score app typically works. I think it still does work like that now. Mm-hmm. Um, The other aspect was without the breaking news, um, what we would do is I would go through this like really long list of like every single um, team and and the newspaper associated. So like if I were just sitting at my desk for the eight hour shift, I would look for like the Philadelphia Inquirer and then I would look in like whoever wrote whatever, read the columns and see anything like interesting about that and would aggregate that interesting little bit, write that into a story. That wasn't so time pressing, but like essentially I would pump out like 10 12 articles a day wow. and that was the job and and i got that job mostly because uh, i knew blake blake was uh he went from after public to working at the score and so he was able to help intro um so uh, that kind of got me in the door so there was a brief period where i was like working like three jobs at the same time I was like wow. at school writing in the newspaper managing the online section but also coming to toronto on weekends to write at the score uh and then you know just also being at school at the same time so it, it, it was kind of a mess but I did that for a long time. And I think the issue with that was just like, I kind of got really bored as you would, like, I don't think it's like uh, very yeah. inducive to creativity at all, nor was a high paying, like I'm not even kidding at the time I was making like 35 K like, uh, fourth for the year. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm not even trying to put aside the money. I think it was just, at, it was not, it's a job where you can like ascend too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like your, your path was like, you can become the supervisor of the aggregators, um, which, was not super enticing for me personally, because I didn't really want to manage, I wanted to sort of create content. And so um, I kind of did a lot of stuff on the side on my own, I kind of went back to my own sort of like, I'll write on my own blog or, you know, podcasts, essentially, they put in a writing policy where you can't like, you couldn't write sports for other publications other than the score, but then the score also didn't want to publish anything that you wrote creatively. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, this is tough. So I started writing 10 things and just like posting them as a Google, uh, on my Google Drive. And then just like posting that screenshot online because that wasn't part of a writing policy. That's technically a social media post. So it's like a workaround, like a little cheat, whatever. But I wanted to get my work out there. And then also I just like started going to podcasting because it was like, it's not writing. Podcasting is not writing. And so I just like invested really, really heavily into podcasting. And and thankfully, Raps the Public were actually really early on podcasting um and uh, opportunities came about but kind of started doing that stuff on my own and eventually that that audience got big enough where um 2019 came around yahoo was like expanding their team and they really wanted to buy into raptors coverage which came at the perfect time they literally want to win the championship that year and so uh march of that year i got hired to to start at yahoo and that was the first time i got officially like credentialed on a consistent basis and got to cover the games um and yeah uh, the the rest has has been great but uh kind of a long journey to get to that point was was it alex
0: wong who who reached out to you like
1: how was that how you kind no. of no 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 do not give him the assist for this do not <laughs> give alex the assist to this uh no who reached out to me was um was dan tomen who uh is currently the program director at the sportsnet on the radio side here as well so um, I've worked with Toman for a couple of years. I actually knew him from the score. Um, this is a thing that I think a lot of people that I've met in the industry have gone through is like somehow everybody is, at one point or another worked at the score or interned at the score. Like it's nuts. Like it's uh, the, the X score family is, is gigantic. Um, but basically he left the score to head up the Yahoo team. And, um, you know, we weren't even that close at the score or anything like that. But uh yeah, he reached out to me and, and sort of that was the connection. And, and I want to make it very clear. So Alex was also working with me at The Score. So The Score eventually started a features team, I think, around 2018. Um, and so they put me on the features team, which I was really happy with. I actually really, really enjoyed that mm-hmm. job. It allowed me to write more NBA stories, be more creative, even get credentialed on, on a game-to-game basis, which was really fun. Um, and they hired Alex as to be part of that uh, features team because he was a pretty good features writer. Um, and then when he heard that I was going to Yahoo, he then left the score and then somehow got to Yahoo before I got there because he was technically working them as a freelancer, so he can just get started whenever. I had to get on board and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he, I want to make it clear, he jumped before I jumped, or he he jumped after I jumped. He just got there somehow before uh, I did. That uh,
0: that is a crazy story. And, and just describe your relationship with Alex, and and obviously you guys were were podcasting at um yahoo and then obviously now have the raptor show just talk about your relationship and what it's been like to to just work alongside each other
1: yeah um so for me i when i was coming up and i i was just like i follow a whole bunch of writers and especially people that i really really liked reading a lot and um you know i knew alex first online um he was a writer uh, writer at large in New York at the time and he had written for publications such as GQ and The New Yorker etc in New York Times um I feel like I'm reading his bio I think that's actually where I got, I'm getting this line from but um I really liked the, the stories he was writing on because it wasn't like the the typical NBA stories it, it wasn't yeah. even like uh, breakdowns or anything like that you could tell he doesn't love ball that much uh it was sort of just, like, he liked the culture aspect of it, and so he wrote about, like, the fashion. He he had this whole, like, GQ piece about hanging out with Chandler Parsons, who was launching his own underwear line. And that was, like, all the... He, like, ended up drinking, like, vodkas with Chandler Parsons at the club while he talked to him about Rolexes and stuff like that. Like, I was like, okay, that's actually really interesting to me. I really had a great time with yeah. that. And so... Um, I started following him first but he was also um someone who like always looked out for younger writers and um he especially especially younger Asian writers too so he was like he followed me back and was tracking my stuff and, and promoting me and then uh life events took place in, in his life and um it brought him back to Toronto where he's from um and so I remember being invited to his uh, homecoming party hmm. uh cool. and so I think that might have been one of the first times I met Alex in person. This is back in like probably 2014, 2015 ish. Uh, And then yeah, we just stayed in collaboration from that point onwards. Um, You know, again, like I didn't really have my own platform, so it wasn't, or not, I didn't have my own platform, but you know, it wasn't like we we just like worked hand in hand or anything like that. That didn't really happen until we got to the score and eventually to Yahoo. But um, just always a really great friend, really good mentor, and um, yeah, I think once we really started to like work a lot together at Yahoo. We realized that okay, there's like a chemistry thing here. Um and I think that it it was good because I was so always so basketball focused and he was so focused on not talking about basketball that it actually created like a nice balance that I think could appeal to a yeah. variety of listeners.
0: Yeah I, I love those words like yeah. Um I want to ask just about that because you alluded to you know being Asian and in the NBA media landscape and um, I think you said like the ratio is like 10 to one white people to people of color. How tough was it um, to, to break in, in in the media industry as a person of color and being Asian and, and, and just talk about that. And, and now you kind of embrace it. Uh, and, and you guys always say me how on, on the Raptors show and, and talk nice. about <laughs> Asian culture. I had to drop it yeah.
1: in. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. Cool. Yeah. Um, I honestly, at first I wasn't like, so cognizant of it you know i think um one of the things when you're writing um you end up sort of being like um like all, like when you're writing you're like this invisible character who's like <laughs> observing jv at uh you know Eurobasket in 2015 or 2013 like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily stand out um or it doesn't really identify sort of who you are um even when i got so to, to, to do podcasts and stuff like that like um some people would like it was weird. I I would go to the arena and some people would be like, I I know your voice, your will. And I'm like, Oh, okay. He's like, but I didn't know you're Asian. And so, um, there was that aspect as well. I think nowadays, obviously like everything is like podcast, everything is like video oriented anyway. So like, this wouldn't be so much of a secret if I came up like, uh, now instead of 10 years ago, but, um, Yeah, I think the more and more I started, like, getting, becoming aware of it, I think it was just, like, my experience was just, like, okay, I didn't realize, first off, the industry was, like, predominantly white and, like, really, really male. Like, when I was at the score, for example, like, um, let's say the workroom was, like, 50, probably, like, 50 writers. Yeah, like, 50 writers. Like, it would would probably have, like, three or four women in there ever um and then like i would say like 90 percent of them were were men as well uh, were were white men as well so i i mean like i I didn't i just didn't realize that until i really got into it um and i didn't think too much of it either until i really got to a point where i was like okay um who is sort of like being promoted who are sort of like friends with each other and sort of like um how do those uh, actually translate into opportunities going forward and it just kind of always felt like okay there is a bit of a boys club here Mm. uh and so I mean, at, for me, at least I was thinking about it in terms of just like when I get this opportunity to sort of uh, do my thing. Number one, I want to continue to work with people that I came up partnering with. So, Alex, for example, was one of those people. Um, Blake was one of those people. Um, you know, even doing the center pods is where like that like Assad is one of those people. Saul mm-hmm. is one of those people. And so, like that, I sort of like naturally brought my community with me as sort of I did more of my own shows, Vivek, of course, as well. Yeah. Um. You know, but like yeah i think I, I, re- I reached the point where it was like you need to be a little bit intentional about this because like you know when you're in a obviously when you're in a public setting you, you know there is obviously an audience and you should say people's names and you should try to offer opportunities to people that you know may be essentially be overlooked or other people aren't vouching for but even in Maybe even more important is like whose name are you saying, like when it's not on camera, when it's not like in a public setting? Um, mm. and sort of what opportunities are you trying to offer there? And I think the, the end goal is just like everyone wants to get the best content, everyone wants to get the best uh, um, coverage out there. And I think it's just like trying to make up a little bit in, t- in terms of some of the blind spots that like just naturally yeah. exist in society. So it's nothing against like, um, i was gonna gonna say it's nothing against white people but i I don't think you guys really need to hear that like it's i think you know that (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) so yeah yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. no i i take no offense um but uh yeah no i i guess just to follow up on that and you're talking about your show and who you bring on just why do you think it took so long for a nationally syndicated you know raptors only show to to hit sportsnet uh, and two years ago and and like, like, why do you think your show so uh, good and that so many people enjoy it as well?
1: Uh, first off, thank you. Um, I think the answer I, I gave, I think, uh, in in the banter pod recently was was kind of like the, what I really believe in. It's just like I think people really needed to see, and by people, I mean like the handful of executives at the very very top of these companies um who have their own blind spots um just needed yeah. to see that like basketball could be successful like I think it's one of those things and this is not even wow I can't believe I'm talking about prehistoric and it's not a cheap plug but <laughs> I was reading Alex's book and yeah. you know it's something where even at that time and that was 1993 1994 they were trying to like bid and, and try to like conceive of the idea of bringing basketball NBA basketball to Toronto um the concerns at that time and the and the pushback at that time is, as I'm learning cuz I wasn't there for it um was that like they don't think that this sport can exist here they don't think that they could thrive here it's a hockey town um and moreover it was like they don't think that the people with money which would be white people would actually be willing to buy into this product yeah and that came from and that line of thinking i think probably still exists in part to this day which i think really? um yeah. And, and, and I don't think it's like as prevalent as it was back then. I mean, you know, maybe we've just kind of like learned how to progress in society in, in a way, but also at the same time, like, you know, this is still like, you know what I mean? Like deep pockets is still deep pockets, right? Like these people actually don't really change over time um, in terms of who these people are. And you mm-hmm. kind of need to see these opportunities take place. And this is not something that like I've personally experienced in terms of I'm in these rooms when these people decide whatever. But, um, you know, I think you kind of, are in it for long enough that you do see that that's probably the case and um you know i think the the raptors one even from their inception they were like what we want to do is target um immigrants Uh, we want to market towards women we want to market the game in that way and i think that that's actually really created in part of the the raptors community that exists today um but yeah i mean i think in terms of the the main decision makers at the very top i don't think it's actually really changed so when you without that what you really do need is a strong business case right mm-hmm. this if i invest my money into this i'm gonna make more money out of this that, that's pretty much all that, that that um sports business really is um besides the passion aspect and there is obviously an inherent belief that something like hockey would work there's an inherent belief that baseball will work um because that's probably what they played and that's probably what the mark the like the the communities that they're running always have participated in those kind of sports there's no doubt that like okay we can invest in curling like like i don't know curling as an idea sounds more ridiculous to me but regardless yeah. i think for basketball they needed to see it succeed at the highest levels and the once the raptors do succeed once they do sell out once they do increase their valuation you know five six tenfold um then they will realize that they can sort of commit more resources to it and i think that yeah like it, i wouldn't be surprised if that somehow filtered towards the media aspect as well um and that's not to take away anything anything from people who have covered it for a really long time. Like I mean, I know it's really popular now to like dunk on these people cuz they're old, which is just weird to me. Why were we dunking on old people? But like like yeah. guys like Doug Smith, guys like Michael Grange, um, you know, who have covered this team for a really long time, um, you know, like they have done their very best to try to promote basketball in Canada. Um, you know, guys like Paul Jones who has been here since mm-hmm. day 1 and um, you know, Jack and 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 uh uh, Leo has actually been here since day one legit since day one um, Jack came on a little bit later um, you know squirsky you know yeah. um, Devlin like these people have tried their very best to sort of put on basketball to the masses but like until you actually have that kind of investment from the top like you, and you probably won't see these type of shows you know and so I'm just happy that I came in at the right time more than anything else I don't think it changed anything Then, and, and that's also why I always say I'm very grateful to Masai because like Without him making the Raptors really successful, these opportunities don't even exist for any of us.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I just on that, I, I think I know you've talked about how, you know, you're a fan and also a journalist at the same time. And I, I think for the show and for why people love you and Alex so much is that you're not just, you know, by the book journalists, you, you know, you, you are fans. And like when you interview Dennis Schroeder, I think you say we need to do this or stuff like that, right? <laughs> which I love. Um just talk yeah. about how you've created content and maybe your approach to to creating content
1: i think i think um this is a byproduct of not having a uh, formal training <laughs> <laughs> i mean it like i didn't i didn't go to any journalism schools i didn't take any courses in this and so every it got to a maybe like maybe like two years ago finally it reached the point where i'm like okay i'm a little bit more comfortable but like this whole time, I kind of felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever promised anything other than, like, I'm just a fan of this game. Like, I didn't promise that I'm a journalist. I didn't promise that uh, I'm a, an analyst who knows ball. Like, you know, I didn't promise... I don't have any playing background. I don't have any coaching background. Like, I'm coming at this from, like, the most humblest position possible, which is, like, uh, I'm a fan. And and I think because I consume so much, like, Raptors content, even going back, like, 20 years now, Um. I kind of just used my guiding principle as like, what would a Raptors fan want to hear? What would a Raptors fan want to talk about? What would a Raptors fan want to ask a player when they get the opportunity, ask a coach when they get the opportunity. And like over time, like of course you develop things like, okay, I've been in enough scrums to know how reporters talk and how people talk. And I feel like in a way I'm mimicking um, until I eventually like learn how to become one as well. Mm. Um, I can probably say the same thing about like looking at analysts and, and seeing like what they've done and try to incorporate some of their ideas and try to apply them myself. Um, but I think the guiding principle is still the same thing. And that's why you hear like the, the show is kind of still um, at its core me. Like I think what maybe the changes in the show are more, probably just me maturing as a person. Cause mm. um, who I was as like a 22 year old podcaster is very different from who I am now uh, at 30, thankfully because like, you know some of it was probably wild and, and probably inappropriate but i think for me i was just like that's well, anybody can i think most people are like that when they're 22 they're probably yeah. a lot less mature than they are 30 so um there's that personal maturation but i mean my perspective on it's still the same and um you know eventually i eventually had to reach a piece with that i was like okay you know what like you're, if you're if, if sports night is telling you we are going to give you the show and we want you to still do the same thing then you have to trust in your instincts that are, are right and um You know, that's where I was like, okay, you know what? I will just ask Dennis Schroeder, like, whatever comes to the top of my mind that day as a fan, you know? Like, um, and I want to find out more details. And I'm sure, like, even the weird thing now that I feel imposter syndrome about is just like, you know, agents and like executives will sometimes talk to me and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, am I supposed to pass this information along? Like, yeah, am I being used? Like I, maybe that's where I'm like, damn, I wish I did go to journalism school. Cause like, yeah, this yeah, is man. not so intuitive as like asking Dennis Schroeder who has more ice on after games, you or, or auto Porter. And <laughs> yeah, to be clear, he did say Otto Porter. Um, yeah. but like, yeah, like uh, that's something I'm still needing to learn and, and trying to understand and, and try to like manage, um, how that kind of comes across in, in the content itself but it's all a learning process and again like i still come at it from the humblest position possible like I, mm-hmm. i'm just a fan of the raptors and i know i've been given like so many opportunities and, and it's a blessing to to get this kind of access but the try to what i'm trying to do with the access is still trying to serve as fans like myself yeah. so
0: did did uh, james harden consult you on his trade is that is that something that you were a part of will
1: I was not. I was not anywhere near that James Sarton trade. Um, I think the, the. I would. I do not want to overstate the level of access I have. the <laughs> The best access that I have is, uh, is. Is probably just like yeah, just like texting an agent or whatever. And and honestly, most times I feel so thirsty sometimes when I'm like, hey, what's happening here? But like, I feel also part of like that's partly my job now. Yeah. So I I feel like you know what I have to bother you for this because it's my job. But also part of it, I'm like, I'm bothering you because like I'm just curious as a Raptor fan. You yeah. know, I'll be like, yeah. I'll be like, yo, Pascal, like, what's up with Pascal's free throw floor? <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, it's a problem. I'm like, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. It's you know, so that's the level of access I have. But uh, it it doesn't go anything deeper than that, at least for the moment, right now.
0: Is it like you're like trying to like nudge agents or or you know management? Hey, I really like if you did this trade or signed this player. Or...
1: No, i trust me, I've never done that. I've yeah. never done that. I've never said like, hey, you should push this guy out or you should go get this guy like i i know myself enough to be like i know very little about basketball as compared to these people um and so i'm gonna let them cook and then i'll you know judge or react to those things as much as possible but no i've literally never kind of done anything like that um mostly because it's like kind of silly you know like so
0: do do you still get like starstruck as a fan like uh, yeah layers and is can you give me like an uh, an example of when you've felt that before?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's this feeling that I still get where you're in the scrum and uh, the media scrum and you know all the other reporters they're so rehearsed they kind of even know like a natural pattern so like doug will ask this question first yep and then grange will probably be like uh and then come up with a question <laughs> so shots to grange that's my guy yeah, but you, yeah. you do you do come up with it on the spot grange we all see it uh you know josh will come up with a question or whatever you know and i typically try to ask a question towards the end of the scrum sometimes i like to hear what the players are saying and maybe try to ask a follow-up Instead of trying to prompt them in, in different directions, um, but when the question pops into my head, and I'm sort of waiting for that chance to jump in because it's like just a scrub. Yeah. like literally everyone could just say whatever, right? That that moment, and I'm I don't know if this happened to you when you were covering the World Cup, or or um, even now when you're covering the Sens, is like, I know I want to say something, and then you think about you start to think about like, okay, how am I going to phrase this? um so that my question comes across both like articulately but also something that you can understand and i start to i always start to feel a little bit nervous and sometimes i feel my heart beat really fast and i'm like what am i doing like i've asked a hundred like hundreds of questions i when i talk one-on-one with players i don't actually get any nerves at all um okay so that's the, but i think <laughs> in those moments when I, I mean, i'm waiting to jump in it takes me back to like when i first started doing this and i just get really nervous and um You know, I think in terms of being starstruck with the players and stuff like that, not really. Like, I I there's no Raptor player that I'm (laughs) there's certainly no Raptor player that gets starstruck by, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's Scotty Barnes walking past cool, that's Pascal walking past cool, like, that doesn't really change anything for me. The only person i kind of get a little starstruck by is Masai. only okay. because you have to understand like when you see messiah in person he has this crazy aura man like <laughs> like bobby i'm like bobby whatever like i'll just walk up to bobby and say what up and we'll talk about restaurants or whatever but like Masai, i'm just like oh man i get a little nervous i don't know why man he just i, he, I honestly the only thing i would say is he like he comes in with like a boss like energy yeah and this is not me trying to like gas him up or anything because i know people are not super happy with uh management mm-hmm. right now this is just like actual my experience is like he you, you walk in and he's uh he has got an aura man.
0: I can only imagine him walking up behind and putting a big hand on your shoulder and you're like scared and <laughs> who is yeah. this? And that's then never he's...
1: happened by the way. That's never okay. happened.
0: Okay. Okay. Well. Uh, um. Yeah. Okay. Before I go, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll go to the Raptors quickly, but I yeah, just sure. have two quick kind of fun questions. Um. The first one is, as a player, I know you hoop a little bit. What yeah. what what is your NBA comparable?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've thought about this a lot because people ask me this quite regularly. Because I insist on talking about pickup basketball. Uh, <laughs> my comp is Georges Niang.
0: Oh my god! Wow, I can yeah, see yeah.
1: the minivan. Yeah, I'm uh I uh, I identify with Georges Niang. Um, I feel like he doesn't really have like a, again, no offense, but like, you know, just relative to other NBA players who are like the fittest people in the world, like Georges Niang really does stand out as a regular person. Yeah. Um, and then all he does is chuck threes and 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 kind of like maybe play a little bit of defense, but mostly try to stay out the way and try to space the floor. That's exactly my game. So shouts to Georges Niang. Um, yeah.
0: Have you ever met him?
1: Have I met Georges Niang? What a question! Um, I probably have, but I feel like <laughs> it's not the most memorable thing. It's not exactly like Masai walking past and the aura hitting you. Yeah, uh, Georges, yeah. Georges Niang, no aura confirmed.
0: So if if tomorrow um, Adam Silver resigns because William Liu needs to become the next commissioner of the NBA, mm-hmm. what is your first decree as as commissioner?
1: Uh, first decree as commissioner will be to uh, command the LA Clippers to surrender uh, all their picks moving forward until 2040 for tampering with Kawhi uh, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean honestly I, what I would really like to see in terms of like as a change in, in the game is like this is such a crazy idea but I said on the show recently it was like can we make dunks worth three points because yeah, I do feel I heard... like I do feel like it's like you're not incentivized enough to go to the basket Right, because like the three point line obviously just math wise, like three is so much more than two. Um and so that's why you see games now with like fifty plus threes. And I'm like, I don't mind if like the Warriors take fifty threes, like that's great. I love seeing Steph chuck threes. I-, I-, I love seeing like clay two threes, threes, like whatever, right? But like, man, like some of these teams taking fifty threes. I'm like, you're just trying to like sh- play the most efficient way uh regardless of your skill set because of the fact that this is sort of what the math is dictating and i don't want that to be the case i don't Mm. want basketball to fall in the same way as baseball um where it's like if you play the most optimal strategy talent is worth less like i want talent to win not strategy to win i want strategy to help talent win which is great but um i think it's like almost veering a little bit too far in that direction and so yeah you make dunks worth three points i think it'll make centers more relevant again like I, mm-hmm. I do like seeing guys roll to the basket and who who doesn't like people dunk? Like you would incentivize people to actually finish more I, plays via dunk. So
0: I, I know you love pickup basketball. I just think about when you play and there's no fouls and then the guy just grabs you while you're going to shoot the game winning shot. And I just mm-hmm. think about dunks and if there are three points of guys are just hard fouling all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I, but...
1: Well, I don't mind. I don't mind. That's also something <laughs> I love to do. Is uh, we need we need we need Serge uh,
0: back in the league, just you know going over and uh, starting beef with everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's what we need. Okay, uh, I, I'll go to the Raptors quickly. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time and doing this. But um, the vibes are back. It seems as though, even though they're four and four, five hundred mm-hmm. like they were last year, everything seems feels different. Obviously, Barnes has been amazing. OG's been a defensive player of the year candidate, but. How optimistic are you about this team's maybe potential and what do you think they're ceiling as with the the roster that they have right now?
1: Yeah, I think um the temperature check of the the fan base is like people are like they don't want to jump in the water fully because they don't want to look silly, because that's what we all did last year. And then we look like idiots just like fighting each other in the pool, being like, This sucks. Um so i understand the apprehension for sure and like when you look down at the the team it's like yeah you know like they they do have some pretty glaring missing parts but what's been really encouraging to me um i think my goals for the season were like number one make it a happy workplace for people to come to um and it is like it is really really like um at least noticeably different from last year i think last year they just kind of like were more down um and and honestly, even just the reports of the mood around the team like just wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't think it's like completely fair without verifying all the facts. But when you hear from like seven or eight different people around the team, it's like, OK, yeah, I think I kind of understand that I'm touching an elephant in the room. You know what I mean? Like that's you, you get you get the idea. But um yeah it does seem like a much more positive workplace to come into which has been great um i think number two was like can scotty barnes make this jump and i think he is actively making this jump this is the reason why everyone is so high on scotty after year one this is why uh people were a little you know disappointed last year because it didn't happen to this degree and now we feel really elated because he's making this jump and like this is great. Like, I know there's like a big jump to be like, Oh, you were right. You were wrong, whatever. But it's like, ultimately Scotty jumping at, at this level is what's going to carry this franchise um, forward. And in terms of upside, that was the upside. Scotty is the upside. So seeing those of the performances he had recently, um, which re- fully reaffirms that. And I think more, even the most reaffirming is, isn't even necessarily the, the game that he had in San Antonio, where he like completely took over 17 points in the fourth quarter, making every single play possible on both ends. Um it, it's the consistency of it, right? Like yeah, I do I do the reaction podcast and I hand out the three stars after every game. Pretty standard thing. And like Scotty got like seven straight first stars. Like I don't think I've ever even I don't remember ever doing that, you know. So it's the consistency of that that performance that he's had over this time, which has been awesome to see. So that changes the ceiling of it. And obviously guys gotta get healthy. Um, but I, I do appreciate the changes that Dark was brought in. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say that like everything darko was doing is to reverse what nick was doing but it does feel like he is like taking the opposite of which happens all the time in sports manager like like um in in soccer for example it'd be like okay we're giving up too many goals let's bring in a conservative manager and now we yeah. win a lot of one nil games but the game's the game's boring let's bring in a different manager to make it exciting and then so it, it just goes in these cycles right so i don't think nick was right i don't think nick was wrong um I don't think Dark was necessarily right just because Nick was necessarily wrong, but he did change things and it is refreshing to watch the same team play in an entirely different way because of the fact that that all now opens possibilities for you because maybe you can get a different result out of this team. And of course there's other things like you need Pascal to you know find his uh, level consistently. And I still believe in that. Like I, I don't really see why uh, seven games uh, to start the year uh, would negate like 5 or 6 years of his career at this point. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you need to see Gary kind of come up to the level. I believe in that as well. We've seen really good good stuff from Gary in the last 3 4 years. Uh and I believe that he'll find that level. And I think once that happens, alongside of Scotty making this jump and OG playing great defense as you mentioned, like you know, this is going to be really really like fun season because we had all expectations stashed and so even though we're 500 again like it feels much better than 500 felt last year like and i think that there's real reasons for that like scotty making this jump is huge the team liking each other is huge (laughs) and uh the team playing the team playing in a productive way on both offensive defense is also massive so
0: why do you think like why do you think barnes has made that jump this year and, and is it just as much you could argue just because he's shooting better or or like what do you see in his game that's so different and, and maybe what's his ceiling is it close to mvp or is that too high of a, a ceiling to put like i don't know like i he's been phenomenal
1: if he plays the same way that he's played all season he's an all-star this year like the first oh. eight games absolutely he's an all-star there's no doubt um, if he plays even at 90% of the level that he's at right now, by the end of, by the time the all-star voting comes around, he will be an all-star. And, and then of course, when you look at it, it's like, you know, are there more things that he can add to this game? I think so. Like there, he's a young player. He's not like the most polished player even right now, but what I'd like to see from what I like seeing from him right now is that he's clearly added, um, skill work over the last like two years. So I think his jump shot, for example, looks a lot smoother. His free throw form looks a lot smoother as well. Um, You know, those aspects, even just like the title, the the handle is getting a little bit better as well as allowing him to get to different shots and different spots on the floor. Uh, His defensive instincts, I think, have always been there, but, um, you know, Darko putting him not on the ball, which Nick had him guarding the ball all the time, but having him. Um, in the corners a little bit more, even as the base on the baseline a little bit more allows him to see all the action coming towards him, and that's why he's had such an incredible start with like all these steals and all these blocks. Like he had back to back games with like three steals, three blocks against San Antonio. Now he had four steals, two blocks against, um, you know Dallas. It's like man, that doesn't happen by accident. Like that's a like really really great talent, and also B like really really good defensive deployment by the coach in this case, right? So, um. I, I think for me though, like it's the it's the enthusiasm, it's the energy. Like he is just like relentless right now. Um, and he is he wants to take the charge, he wants to take over, he wants to create um on both ends of the floor. And I think that energy was like, you know, at times was missing last year. And I yeah. think that that's that's more than anything else, what anybody was disappointed by was just like you know, year one, Scotty Barnes comes into the league is exuberant. Like I fell in love with Scotty Barnes game two of his career awesome. when he had twenty six and twelve against Boston. And, like, not only did they win the game, but, like, Boston was booed off the court. Like, that's what I want to happen uh, on Saturday when the Raptors play them, right? So, like, that energy that Scotty played with, it happened all the rookie season. And I felt like that wasn't necessarily there for a lot of last year. And now it's really back. Plus, he's added skills to his game. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, future potential, like, I don't know. No one has a crystal ball. I don't think the front office even has a crystal ball. But, um we can also just look at what he's doing right now and what he's doing right now. He's playing on an all-star level, and and that's all that we have all wanted for. Like the one thing the Raptors fan base, which is quite split right now, but the one thing that people can agree on is we all want to see Scotty Barnes be an all-star, and uh, he is he is giving us everything. Uh
0: how, how do you think that kind of affects how the Raptors go about the futures of Siakam and OG, just with them being unrestricted free agents? Like, is it how does that him ascending to? probably an all-star this year affect the future and how they see the landscape of this team
1: yeah i mean I, it's totally a fair question to ask um uh, y- especially because you know scotty for sure is going to be here a long term um you need to see how everything fits and you know can they all play at a high level together more importantly not even just can they all play at a high level but can the raptors win with them together um if the raptors win like forty like 550 games this season and there's real ascension and get to the playoffs. I think they'll keep everybody. They really, really? do. That's besides MO. Um okay. but if they don't win, then he'll make huge changes. And um you know, I think that's just sound management on his part. Um you know, uh, whether he misses opportunities or not. Like I remember asking Masai this question at uh, media day, where my heart was pounding as uh, Masai <laughs> and his aura, and, and me also yeah. having a question in mind, came up. And I asked him, I was like, you know, if you don't trade these guys now, like do you worry about their value being less at the trade deadline? And he sidestepped the question. You know, he he stepped it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I do have that same question in mind. Like, okay, so can you still get the same value if you choose to pivot midseason? But yeah, I think if they all win, they're gonna he's gonna keep all them together. That's that's what he's always done with the team.
0: Mm-hmm, except yeah.
1: for the quadrate like that's really his mo for 10 years so i i, I believe in the track record uh,
0: yeah so i guess just on that with bobby and miss like as the, the the fan base is definitely split on how they feel about them you know four or five years out of uh uh winning the championship how would you assess maybe their their maybe last couple years and and um how much is maybe uh too much patience leading to inaction and, and poor action
1: yeah. um Let me see. I think it's I think it's a little bit difficult because when on the bigger picture, you look at it and you're like, OK. um you, you they have like a couple of years there where it felt like it was wasted, like the Tampa year felt completely wasted. That one, I don't even hold them accountable for like they two weeks before the season started, they had to relocate their whole franchise their whole lives the players were so miserable down there as well like it was in the middle of a global pandemic it just felt completely unnecessary to do all that um and so whatever that thing fell apart um last season i felt like it was a wasted year as well and i think he's responded to that mostly by changing the coach and i think that we've seen the necessary um changes from that new coach which is what we really needed to, to get um Besides that, like I think they were trying to manage it as is. So 2019, 2020, like they were never gonna move away some of their veteran pieces just because Kawhi left. That team had way too much momentum, had too much pride. And honestly, like that team was too fun to break up, man. That was like awesome. that was that was such an awesome year. Nick winning coach of the year. Um, I think that also got Messiah and Bobby their contract extensions as well, um, for them, and, and they deserved it. They had done a really, really good job. Uh, with the group it got nick his contract extension as well i think they actually ripped up his old contract and just gave him a raise like three four times
0: i think that's true yeah yeah
1: yeah because all those guys deserved it then the next year happens is tampa um so you throw all that out the window from the tampa thing they do get scotty they they did make the right decision to tank and of course they got a little lucky too they moved up as people remember we had the seventh best lottery odds and we moved to four and we we drafted scotty which was great Um, and and in looking back, Scotty fell to us like at four, which is actually really, really great. Cause uh, you know, I don't think people will pick him uh, below, you know, Jalen Green or even Evan Mobley, I think is like pretty um well, whatever. I I have a I love, I love, a I, love different... I love I love I love I love Haiti on Evan. It's great. Yeah. Just yeah. Um but uh yeah like they they got Scotty out of that. Now, of course, I think there are other things that they didn't really bat a hundred on for sure. Like, you know, they trading away all cool. these first round picks. Like, I would love to have some of the players in the prospect system right now that the Spurs have used them on. For example, like even if you just took whoever the Spurs took, like I would love to have Malachi Brown like on yeah. the Raptors bench right now instead of yeah. Thad Young. No offense to Thad, who I really like. You know, right. a really nice dude. Uh, Shouts to his wife as well. Finds everything on Twitter. So if you tell you anything bad about Thad, she will find you. Uh, <laughs> she's <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Shouts to Shakaya. Uh, but like. <laughs> You know, I, I think those are some of the missed opportunities Obviously, like, the the uh, mishandling Fred, I think, was, was one of them as well. Um, at least they recovered with that by signing Dennis, which I think He's has been, been a really, really great addition. Um, for
0: the Raptors so, show?
1: <laughs> to the Raptors show, but also on court as well. Yeah. Um, was so that,
0: that – yeah. were you talking to Messiah and his aura and saying, hey, I just – you know, I, we need to get this done just for the Raptors show. Is that something you did well?
1: I actually remember uh, – yeah, I remember chatting with Bobby. Um, it was like uh, I was I was in Vegas, and they unveiled uh, Dennis in, in like this Vegas hotel room, whatever that uh, they were practicing in. Um, and they, the team had just had breakfast with with, with uh, the whole staff around, and then they cleared out, and then they wheeled out like their computer and the you know whatever, and they did a Zoom in, uh, press conference for Dennis. And so I was just chilling in the back and just like catching up with Bobby a little bit, and we were talking about like the Dennis signing uh, While Dennis is doing his press conference, and he did say one thing, he was just like, "You guys are gonna love talking to him this year." And I, I, I don't think he knew that he was gonna be on the Raptors show. I think he just meant like, you know, he's he's yeah. he got very, he's a really engaging speaker. He's got a really uh cro- really cool story, um, and just overall like a good head on his shoulders. And I think that that's what we've seen both on and off the court from Dennis so far. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't think they signed him to be <laughs> to to feed the media. Uh, I think they signed him because they needed a point guard really badly, but um. Yeah, it's it's worked out nicely, and um, I'm happy that Dennis continues to come on the Raptor show. It seems like him and his people really like um, the conversations that we've had so far. And uh, yeah, I've never had a player call me from the team bus before. So. I was gonna, yeah that's, yeah, that's a career highlight for
0: sure. Yeah, you, you need you need to get him with like Masai in the picture as well. Just just the the two of them just talking to you. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Well, it wasn't didn't Barnes talk to? I think it was Tim, and then Masai came up during. Was that? wasn't that on? anyways what happened i don't, I don't know but, um okay before i let you go just one question because i have to ask canada basketball i have you here of course who would be your starting five
1: in paris with everyone available bro this is such a hard question and you know it like it yeah. is actually so hard i wish we had one more <laughs> big i really <laughs> wish we had one more big i wish that during the tournament as well um so for me, Shea obviously starts. There's no question about that. No, no doubt about that. Um, what Dylan Brooks did in that tournament, and you, you play
0: well right now.
1: You saw it in person, you see it right now. I think his true shooting is still north of 70%, which is absurd. I've never seen a guy go from the forties to the seventies in true shooting. It's I nuts. Will,
0: I will say, Will, being around him, he made every single three-pointer in practice and okay. it's like okay. and i was like am i seeing this wrong like why is he shooting right. way better than kelly Olynyk?" but he made like he'd go like nine of 11 all the time just mm-hmm. step back everything he just even though his form's kind of junky it
1: <laughs> it <laughs> is kind of his hand just flies off yeah like, it's
0: like it kind of like forcefully pushes the ball forward it's so weird yeah but, uh, yeah.
1: but yeah yeah so i'm i'm based on what he's done I'm not benching him. There's no, it doesn't even matter if he has a bad year this year. He's starting for me in Paris, like based on what he's done in the World Cup, oh. um, and and obviously you were there for all of those, like that. I mean, what what a ridiculous performance! Uh, well, not all of them, but he were the, you were there for so much of them, and and what a great performance. Um, I would, I would definitely start Jamal if he commits. I think one of the issues with the team uh, was the lack of like secondary play creation outside of Shea. And we were very lucky to get what we got from um, Dylan, but I don't necessarily want to bank on him scoring uh, 40 against the States every time. Nope. You know, I'd rather have Jamal, like, um, be your, the backup point guard sometimes, but also be the, you know, start in the backcourt with Shea. Ooh. Oh, man. RJ, buddy, you're, you've been so loyal. Your dad's the GM. <laughs> <laughs> you've been so loyal. Like, honestly, I don't think anyone's been more loyal than RJ. I think maybe you you you, you shared one of the quotes, which I, which I got a really good kick out of it in the summertime, was just uh, – I think, I think Shea joked that uh, RJ oh, yeah. can't, skip yeah. the t- can't skip the team with yeah, his yeah, dance yeah, on it. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so he has been so loyal. But, I mean, if I and, – and Wiggins is not even having a good season. But He's been bad, yeah. I, I think I would start Wiggins. Um, you
0: like his, ten, over, his like, over 10% RJ. defensive rebounding rate or something like that?
1: He is a really good rebounder, which I think that is going to be pretty important in this kind of case. I think his size is better. And, and look, listen, like I think RJ kind of had – like some really good moments, even in the USA game, I think had like twenty five. Like that's pretty damn good. But um, up and down, I don't know. He's a little up and down for me. And I think the shooting, I think, is a little more consistent with Wiggins. Um, so I probably go with Wiggins. Honestly, if you want us to play small, man, R J can p- play a four if you want. Like I guess Zach I don't. No, no, Zach E D, Unfortunately, I, I think we talked about it, but like it, it was tough watching him some of those tournament games. Yeah, when he played like ten seconds against Spain, and then like <laughs> it was, was like an overrun. Yo, that was crazy. Uh, it happened
0: in the USA game, too, unfortunately.
1: The, yeah, I, the funniest thing was in that Serbia game. I don't remember. Jordy subbed in um, Zach in the third quarter Yeah, for, like, 10 seconds. And as soon as that happened, the opposing coach was like, all right, I'm going to put in my spacing five. And then, like, Jordy kind of was like, oh, no, no, just kidding. I want to take him back. But they couldn't take him back. <laughs> and so he had to be on the floor for, like, 15 seconds. And, and man, it to <laughs> my Chinese king, uh, Zach Eady, But uh, you're not ready yet. Sorry, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I probably yeah starting wise I probably start with Dwight Powell. I mean, I just want a little bit of size to go with that group and like that's not bad I guess. Like I think obviously you need more in the front court. You need RJ to really play big. You need Wiggins to help with the rebounding. You need Dwight to really play great defense. I think that allow you to switch a lot cuz pretty much everybody in that group is 6-6. Six, six. Like Jamal will be the shortest guy at like 6-4. Um and then, yeah. yeah, and then the tallest guy will be like 6-7. In, in, in Powell. So like you could switch a lot. And I thought Canada did look, did look their very best when they switched a the whole bunch. Um and this excludes some pretty great options, you know, like but yeah, and, it's and, not and a we'll, bad squad.
0: And they'll beat LeBron on his send off in, in Paris with stuff oh. all of them. The, all I, the old I, guys? Yeah, I just I just want Dylan Brooks going at LeBron, putting forty on him, and uh mm. Canada winning the gold medal. That'd be pretty sweet. So yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. That would that would be the dream.
0: Yeah, well, I really appreciate you giving me so much time, Will. Uh, I know you're uh, you you know you're a busy guy, so anything you just want to plug for The Raptor Show, you can even do Alex and, and Prehistoric, anything you want. No, he's good,
1: man. You got enough love for that book. Um, <laughs> what I want to plug, man. Yeah, just just listen to The Raptor Show. Um, You know, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked so much about my career in this case, and I, pr- I always appreciate a chance to sort of share that with people because I think um, – I don't know, the most common question I get is like, how did you get in this position and how can I sort of like do something similar? Because there's obviously such an overwhelming interest in uh, working in sports media. So I appreciate the the platform you've given me here to, to talk about that. And um, yeah, that's that's really all I wanted to say.
0: Well, thank you so much. And uh, whenever you, you teach a, a basketball writing course, I uh, I need to sign up. I hope it's virtual or something from <laughs> it
1: Aaron was Lalo. virtual. Yeah. okay
0: perfect i'm gonna sign up i I need uh i need that for sure so i really appreciate uh the time will and everyone has to check out the raptor show amazing content and uh especially when you guys aren't talking about basketball so um (laughs) i appreciate the time and uh best of luck for the rest of the season
1: yeah likewise to you man